Today I spoke with Sarah Walco, Director of Education and Community Engagement for the Visual Arts Center of New Jersey, one of my long time and beloved partners in fundraising. Sarah and I spoke about their Arts in Healing program that works with veterans, adults with special needs, the aging, and the solutions that they're coming up with to help those who are facing particularly traumatic circumstances during the COVID-19 crisis gives me a measure of hope. They really are working hard to find solutions. So I hope you enjoy the following conversation. Music is always by Matthias DeWild, and thank you so much for listening. Sarah Walco, welcome to An Incrementally Better World. Thanks so much for having me. So you and I have crossed paths a number of times over the last couple of years, fundraising for the Visual Arts Center of New Jersey. And we had our gala scheduled for the end of March. And like so many other things in that time frame, it did not come to pass. Yeah, exactly. It was it was two weeks away when uh, the full shutdown happened. So we had to, you know, really do we had to rethink everything. And um, and the gala was was a challenge, but we pulled it off. And you were helpful. <laughs> I w- was happy to do my small part when it came to very targeted donor engagement. I recorded those two little videos and I know it made me smile to have something to, uh, to, to, to do because I was at a loss, especially there in March. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that that's all you can really do in those kinds of situations is to pivot, you know, but still kind of, kind of think about the, you know, very much in your business, the show must go on. It must indeed. And I know that a lot of not-for-profits are struggling with how to figure out their positioning vis-a-vis COVID-19, especially in March and April. There was such a focus on frontline responders. It was not uncommon for folks, say, in the arts to think to themselves, how do we fit into this environment? And how do we make our programs on par with all the focus that's going on with the virus? But the fact is, is that you aren't just a beautiful building that houses beautiful arts. You really are going out into the community and providing, you know, for some of these folks, life-sustaining engagement. And I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about your arts and healing program and how it has evolved over the last two and a half months. Yeah, definitely. So um, all of the work that that I focus on um, in my department is um, a lot of the community engagement and public programs. So 
With community engagement, um, one of the things that we're always thinking about is what are the barriers of um, communities and audiences and individuals that, for example, you know, you mentioned we do have a we do have a contemporary art museum and we have a full running studio school, but what about communities that can't reach us um, and have a barrier to actually even just physically coming to our building? How can we still reach them? So we have a number of different programs where we just satellite our teaching artists and our art therapists out. And that also enables us to work with um, various communities, such as you mentioned our arts and, arts and healing program, which is where we serve, um, for example, we have a partnership with the New Jersey Veterans Affairs and we work with um, three of their facilities, which are long-term care um, nursing homes. And in particular, their Alzheimer's and dementia populations and our art therapist goes there three times a week and works with them on art therapy, which has been shown to reduce agitation in populations with um, those aging challenges. And so um, that's something that we were already working with. Um, we were also working with two other facilities with the New Jersey Veterans Affairs that are um, transitional housing, formerly homeless veterans. Um, so our art therapists are going there once a week and she's kind of working with more trauma and addiction issues with that population. Um, we've also done a program in Middlesex County Department of Corrections um, with the incarcerated population there. And so um, obviously all of these programs are on hold right now because of um, the pandemic and the shutdown. And so, but it's also something that we very much think about all the time is the arts role in healing and um and not just for a specific population that needs healing, but actually for everybody in the general public as well. It's basically, you know, going into a class and creating a piece of art or going into a contemporary art museum and looking at a piece of art. Um, it changes you, you, you know, get engaged with the present moment. You're able to express yourself or your unique opinion, you know, it's a very healing process in itself to participate in any kind of the arts. And so um, it's definitely not only for specific populations. And so that's something that we feel is very, is actually more relevant now than ever. Um, and ever since um, we've been trying to figure out number one, how we can still reach communities and number two, how we can provide um some content and um, some education around and some materials for how the how the arts are really, really good for public health. Um, so we've, we've done that in a number of ways. Um, we have started, um, for example, Cabin Fever Artist Talk. So all of our contemporary artists that might usually do a public program in our museum are recording themselves wherever they're quarantined. And then... Um, we're going on to kind of create some curriculums for education programs around that. We have created an arts and healing page on our website where our art therapists um, did recorded themselves in a number of videos. And those, those are actually um, originally intended there. It's on its own page. So it's open to anyone who wants to participate, but it was also, it was originally intended for some of the staff and essential workers that are working throughout this pandemic in the hospitals, in the nursing homes, because, you know, we're very aware that people are experiencing everything from low level anxiety to trauma. 
um, for for what their particular experience is. So um, anyone can kind of go on that website and pick any of those videos and maybe take about 30 minutes and do some um, do some art therapy and arts and healing for themselves. And as we go into the fall and we're going to have to assess what the fall is going to look like, we're going to just try to continue to find ways to to bring this aspect of arts and healing to um, as many communities as we can. I have noticed just in myself a bit of emotional volatility that has gained in amplitude over the last week or two as the weather improves and I feel more and more stuck inside. Can you talk a little bit about maybe some individual success stories of some of your programs and are there are there any case studies uh, that would give us some hope about how these programs have been working? Yeah, well, first of all, there's, um, you know, I think you make a good point and that's kind of going to the point of what I was saying that the general public, you know, is, is in, in general, everyone could use um, ways to, uh, or tools basically on how we can, um, how we can kind of manage our anxiety level and, you know, this new way of life and certainly working within the arts can do that. Um, There's been a lot of research that's been coming out of the last few years. There's actually a really, there was a really great article in the New York Times that came out on January 1st about how viewing and making art can um, increase longevity and there's been more more um, science and um, database research coming around coming out on the physiological effects of art making. How if you just draw for you know over 45 minutes, the cortisol levels in your brain go down. So that's been, I think, also helping to increase a lot of these programs around um, art for public health. Um, so we, within, for example, our um, work with the with the dementia and Alzheimer's population, we had to measure um, every every participant's agitation. We have an agitation scale, so we had to measure as the program went on if their agitation level was going down. Um, so we were going to run the program for a year. It got unfortunately suspended mid-March, but we were showing some levels of that agitation going down in that population after the art therapist having worked with them. Um, I've also seen um, a lot of really good things that have been coming out, and we have some of this on our Arts and Healing website too, on meditative drawing for anybody. It's basically the same type of thing as regular meditation where you're getting to a calm place and concentrating on your breath in and out, except every time you take a breath in, you draw a line. And then every time you take a breath out, you draw a line. So you're kind of also aligning a little bit of your hands with that as well, you know, and kind of producing something. And so, um, I don't know, it's it's very interesting time, I think, that uh, there's also just a lot of interesting things about the timing that align with contemporary art and for example the last 10 years this this really big rising up of art and social practice where your actual medium is community it's not working away by yourself in your studio with paint um so it, it does feel and there's also you know another big rise in the field of art therapy in general and so it does sort of feel like there's this really strong 
um, rising of people's understanding and our need for, you know, the recognition, the creativity and the arts and self-expression and, you know, a way to, you know, yeah, self-expression or, you know, even, you know, treat anxiety or trauma or whatever can be really accessed through, um, through the arts and creativity. And it's also a big community building thing. So I'm hoping that, um, that there can be some, some positive directions that come out of the crisis that we're facing now in how the arts can really aid people in their, in their processing and their growth and their healing. I love that silver lining. I got a chance to sit in on one of the classes that you and your team put on. I believe it was with special needs adults and maybe some facing dementia and Alzheimer's. And just the joy of these fellow human beings, these fellow citizens, as they drew their floral still lives. And you could really see what a great society does in caring for all of its members. I'm curious if you could talk us through how you've been approaching still trying to deliver these services in a virtual component. The fact that so many of the folks that you work with are in nursing homes. What have been some of the virtual, virtual solutions you have found? So our, you know, I already mentioned our immediate virtual solution was just to create a page on our website that um, that the staff could access, you know, when they have time, if they have time, that kind of thing. But as we continue to move forward, and also as we're all accepting the reality that, you know, this coming fall doesn't even look like um, there's a chance that things will that you know many of our programs will be able to resume in the way that they were we're basically looking at it in a couple different ways of how we could still reach those those communities in particular virtually one is um if we're if the facility and uh we're able to get permission for for example our, our therapist she used to go three times a week but perhaps she could go once a month. So like a very limited um, going into the facility to do something in a much more limited way and, and in a way that, you know, would would make sure that everybody's safe. And then um, instead of for all the other times where she may have gone in, then we create virtual content, you know, and so she would, that would go up on our website or be emailed to them so that, um, so that the staff could potentially help the residents still do um, some of the activities. Um, another thing that we're looking at is doing training of the essential workers that are already there and working every day. So our art therapists would do a kind of compressed training of their staff so that they could actually carry on the activities and they have, a um, you know, rather than their nursing and, Back, their nursing backgrounds and that kind of thing. They would also get like kind of a, you know, um, crash course in art therapy and some things to, um, to do with, with people with certain, you know, types of descriptions, that kind of thing. So we're right now we're looking at those 
kind of three, I'd call them three different avenues of ways that we could still um, deliver some content until our staff is, or until our therapists are able to go back there full time. And we've mostly been talking about your programs for adults. Before the whole world shut down, you and I were scheduling a time for me to come see the work you do with students. Can you talk a little bit about the engagement you have with um, kids in northern New Jersey and how that has changed over the last two and a half months? Yeah, that's a lot of our education programs are working with um, different school districts around the state. And... Um, they're all a little bit different, but I'll give you kind of a generic, what, what one would generically kind of look like is that um, students would come to, they would get, you know, have their field trips day, trip days where they would get a bus and come to visit us. They get extensive tours of the contemporary art museums. And there are a lot of students also like have never been inside a museum, let alone a contemporary art museum. So it's a lot of kind of first museum encounter and experience with contemporary art. And then they would come back for, for example, a few consecutive weeks and uh, work with our teaching artists in the classroom to create their own pieces. But then at the end of the sessions, they usually do a presentation um, for their their peers and their teachers and our staff. Um, so that would be kind of what a typical museum education program looks like. And so with the with the shutdown um, and also in looking at this fall as a possibility that there will be no field trips that will be allowed um, to be scheduled with schools. Um, the first thing we did was to create virtual tours of the exhibition. So we went into the museum and filmed everything and um, spent you know, a certain amount of time on certain pieces that would be a little bit harder to see digitally and tried to give a sense of the space and um, had our curator, you know, and the artist kind of record some audio. So there would be, uh, so that would actually be interesting, but the, the students would feel like they actually had the experience of art rather than just kind of a passively watching a video. And, um, and then we um, had all the text and the titles and we work with a lot of um, school districts that have high uh, immigrant and refugee population so we um, did some language translation of that text and um, and then we and then we sent sort of prompts for um, potential assignments that the teachers could do once the students had um, had that experience you know watching the tours and looking at the art so that's what how we've been adapting a lot of those programs were now we had to do that, you know, so quick because it just kind of came upon us this spring. But now knowing that there's a chance that students can't come in the fall, we're going to do a much more in-depth curriculum um, and try to provide basically as much content to our teachers there as possible. There are some um, some barriers with, um, with the education program that I'm sure... Um, you know, you and everyone has heard about when there's a technological barrier, if, you know, if a student doesn't have access to um, certain technology or, for example, with our um, English language learner groups, if they may have access to the technology, but they don't speak 
English and no one in their home speaks English and they might not be able to actually execute the, the full program. And so, you know, those are some of the challenges that um, keep coming up that we have to navigate through this all. But, but we've just really begun to think that, think about, you know, how do we create a virtual museum education packets like that's what it has to be and also how can that open up the future a little bit for us because we hadn't been doing that before and so if a school couldn't come to us then you know they maybe couldn't work with us but now it's kind of opening up that oh well what if we constantly create this kind of digital content we could perhaps reach um, more schools that can't come to us in the future no matter what even if everything kind of opens back up again. That is another one of those silver linings that this crisis has forced us in so many different ways to innovate. And I think that there will be a long tail on what we develop for ourselves and our communities after this crisis is overcome. One thing that I'm always curious to ask people when everything shut down, I had a flurry of panic that resulted in me trying to find a technology savior. I really hoped that Facebook or Amazon or Google or whomever, one of the big tech giants, would see the philanthropy industrial complex as a good way to build positive PR, goodwill, target high net worth donors, and build a suite of tools that was like Zoom on steroids so that we could hold virtual galas with red carpets and VR and AR and bidding and auctions and all of that. And thankfully, there were already some there was already some tech out there that uh, got us close enough to the way when I actually started leaning into it. But that's a long way of asking, what are some of the challenges you think would be easier for you and your team to overcome if you were able to get a tech solution? If Jeff Bezos called you up and was like, Sarah, I want to dedicate all the resources of Amazon to helping you do what you need to do for arts and healing for your education programs. How can I help? How would you answer uh, Mr. Bezos or Tim Cook or Mark Zuckerberg if that question was floated to you? Um, Wow, that's a great question. I'd probably have to think about it in two different ways, the way I do with uh, my education programs and then the community outreach programs. I feel like for the education programs, if it could be something like, you know, as you already mentioned, like some kind of combination of like Zoom with a virtual Blackboard and... um, like basically that there could be the the same as you have in the real classroom where there's like the teachings going on in the front with the blackboard, but then there's a projector and then everyone's working on their writing. So it's so much more the way we think now, right? We're always like kind of roaming between like five different, you know, screens in a way or pieces of paper. And so if, it, if there could be some kind of platform that, you know, could kind of combine the options that we have right now so that everything could be more fluid, 
you know, um, I feel like that and, and keep the, you know, the, what you have when you're in person is just to be able to, um, really respond and, you know, and just kind of be animated and, and be with each other in person to keep that flow, um, that technology kind of interrupts a lot now. Um, so that would be my answer to them about that with the, with the, like arts and healing and the community programs, I feel like I would want some kind of amped up technology that um, like somehow or other, there could be some communication um, even through the keyboard, maybe, you know, cause like, for example, some of our participants are nonverbal. Um, and so if there could be some kind of communication about your emotions and how you're feeling so that, you know, an art therapist, an art therapist uses so many cues as they guide in just facial expression or, you know, different things. So it would be some kind of like sensitivity yeah. <laughs> technology <laughs> that would make somehow, you know, working uh, an art therapist be able to actually work with a group and really on the level of sensitivity that they work with in person. <laughs> and- I don't actually think that sounds too crazy because I know in certain tests what they measure is a subject's eye movements. And so there is technology out there in certain labs that is able to either, you know, working with infants or working with people who are nonverbal and, you know, through, you know, AI is able to... um, interpret or decode, you know, someone's eyes movements and gain information and have it be, uh, you know, have there actually be a feedback loop there. So I think that's a, I, I ask that kind of weird broad-based question because then it seems to elicit interesting answers. And I, I, I think that, you know, into the future, if we are able to develop sensitivity feedback loops in our tech, um, you know, for a range of people who may be nonverbal, I could see how that could be really valuable uh, in a lot of different scenarios. Yeah, I 100% agree. You know, just to wrap up here, is there anything that you would like to communicate to our listeners out there? Any any calls for partnerships, any exhortations, any positive outlooks? Uh, is, is there something that you, you would love for all of us to have as a takeaway from this conversation? Sure. Well, I mean, we're always looking um, to work with people in any capacity. So call for partnerships are always out there. Um, if there's any community or group um, or individual that um, feels like they really would benefit from the enrichment of art in their life, we um, are here for you and we're fully available. Um, And also as a takeaway, I think that, um, you know, part of this crisis has shown us um, that we're so much more connected to one another than we are different and separate. And we need to rely on one another you know i love this term that's going around right now that's um, we need to have a revolution on how we care for one another um and i think that the arts has always done something that um that will continue to 
potentially be even more valuable in times of crisis or the times we're in is it always elevates us to our shared humanity. It elevates us out of um, our individual narratives. It, it celebrates our differences. It doesn't just tolerate our differences. It celebrates our differences. And um, I feel like we need, you know, also within the arts, it just activates the imagination and we need to reimagine what the new world is going to look like more right now than ever. So the imagination is a very, very useful and important tool right now. Sarah, that's such a beautiful sentiment to end on. And thank you so much for carving out some time to speak with me today. I look forward to sharing your experiences and your hope with, uh, with the larger community. Thank you, CK. It was great to talk to you. Take care. You too.